The scripture for today is from Luke 2, 1 through 20. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration with Quirinus was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. The shepherds and the angels in the same region, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you this day a child is born in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there is an angel with a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to the Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that has been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherds who told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. This is God's word to us. Good morning. And Merry Christmas. Uh, if you don't already know me, my name is Kale, and I serve as a family pastor here. It's my honor to uh, get to open up the word of God with you guys today. Um, so let's uh, close our eyes, let's bow our heads, let's pray, and then we'll get started. Um, Father God, I pray that, uh, Lord, this day after Christmas, Lord, with all the things that yesterday held, both uh, really amazing things as well as, uh, for some of us, really hard things, Lord, I just pray that we'd be able to worship you today. We would be able to proclaim that you've uh, not only um, died and resurrected, Lord, but that you also came to us in the first place. So, uh, Lord, we uh, worship you, and Lord, I just pray that uh, you would meet each of us where we're at today. Amen. Uh, Back whenever I was in high school, I had quite a few coaches in the athletics department at Sulphur High. I think I had about seven of them in total, and uh, they were all really great guys. Um, One of them was a pastor. A couple of the other ones went to our church there in Sulphur. And uh, they're really fantastic, but they were all like their own individuals, you know? Like you had like one guy who was like the really serious coach, and then you had the like the buddy coach, like, hey, like I'm your buddy guy. Um, but you know, all of them had like their own like idioms as well. It's like they were trademarks. Like they would use the same ones like for 20 or 30 years at a time. So like generations of people going to the school would know people by their little catchphrases. I don't know if that's like a small town thing or a coach thing. You guys tell me, but one way or the other, they always sounded exactly the same, though, whenever it came to ab workouts. So in off-season, they'd have us all on our backs on the floor doing all kinds of things, try to get that burn on, right? And that magical time would finally come whenever they would say, 30 more seconds. And then a little bit of time would pass, and they'd say, hey, 10 more seconds. And then you get down to five, and they'd say, five, 
four, three, two, long pause, one, and rest, right? And, and every single time, no matter if you had like the really serious guy or the buddy guy, whatever, they all use the same exact verbiage, the same exact formula, no matter what. And I think there's a really good reason for that. And it's simply this, that whenever we were under the hardship of all these crazy ab exercises that they were having us do, they knew that we were fighting that inner monologue that just said, hey, you're not going to be able to do it. You just need to give up. Uh, the end is way out there. You're never going to make it. And they just knew like, hey, if we could just put the end inside, if we could just tell you that the alleviation of your hardship and that peace would come and it's just within grasp and it's just within your reach, you'd be able to complete the exercise. And more often than not, it's very true. Now, the thing is, is that you and I deal with this all the time as well, even if we're not working on our abs. Um, This world is beautiful and it's amazing. There's culture, there's art and all these things, but it's also full of hardships. Um, At best, whenever we're trying to accomplish something, uh, whenever we're trying to achieve something that's worth any of our time, uh, at best we find like friction against us. And then whenever we uh, try to go for things that are much greater, like hope and joy and peace, a lot of times we just find hardship after hardship, and they just keep stacking on top of us like a big game of Jenga, right? And we're just thinking like, man, if one more block gets put on this, it's going to fall over. It's going to crush me. If I could just get out from under the weight of all these hardships, I could just catch my breath. And it's about that time that another one gets added, right? But one way or the other, what we actually need in that moment is for someone to just give us a little nudge, a little reminder, like, hey, one day, it's all going to be made better. One day, the hardships will be taken away, and the end is in sight, and that end is peace. So the thing that we're going to be talking about today, uh, this day after Christmas, is the peace of Christ. We're going to be talking about the peace of Christ. Um, We all have hardships. We all have things that have happened to us. Uh, We all have things that we're going uh, through. Uh, A lot of these things have happened to us. Some of these things are our own doing. But one way or the other, we have heard of the hardships of this life. And today we're going to hear about the peace of Christ and his consolation and his hope that he brings us. Uh, and the whole reason for our Christmas story altogether. So uh, today we're going to be in Luke 2, verses 1 through 20. Uh, Luke 2, verses 1 through 20, that's what we just read. If you have a physical Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. And um, let, let me say a few things about this text before we really get into it too far. Um, this text is really important as it tells us that Jesus Christ was actually born in a, at a real time and in a real place. He was born in Judea uh, at the turn of where it goes B.C. to A.D., right, first century. And um, this was not just uh, any Judea, it was Judea under Roman rule, and not just any Roman rule, but the Roman rule of Caesar Augustus. Now, um, if you're a history buff, or if you've watched like a pop- popular movie about Rome, you've probably heard of this guy. He also goes by Octavius. Uh, he's a real dude. There's a lot of really cool statues of him in the Louvre and then places like that. And this guy is actually known for bringing an era of peace and tranquility to the empire after a whole lot of confrontation. Now, the problem with that, though, is that the people who were being oppressed by him, like the Jews, for example, did not see it that way. They did not see peace, but they only saw hardship. So today, what you guys are going to hear is, um, first of all, we, we have a lot in common with those guys. We have a lot in common with the Jews in the first century under Roman rule. Second thing that you guys are going to hear is that um, we have the same exact hope and the same exact good news that was shared with the shepherds all those years ago. And then lastly, we're going to talk about really what we do with all that today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to two, uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. 
verses one through three. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration whenever Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. So the first thing I want you guys to see in this text today is that peace is hard to find. Peace is hard to find. In the first couple of verses of this chapter, what we hear about is the census that, uh, again, Caesar Augustus, the proclaimed bringer of peace, put on. And uh, we know from extra-biblical sources that this guy was really famous for doing a ton of censuses. Censuses? Censusi? Whatever the plural is, right? Um, So he was really famous for this, and we don't uh, have record of this particular one, but he was doing this thing all over his empire in places like Gaul and other places, uh, which is like modern-day France, side note. Um, But uh, that being said, this was most likely for the purpose of taxation. He wanted to know exactly how many people were in the empire and how many people owed him uh, money for having done this. And this tax was not overbearing. It wasn't going to be something that uh, families and people weren't going to be able to pay. But what it was, though, was a reminder It was, hey, listen, you're not just under the rule of your God, you're under the rule of Caesar. And it's just a little reminder to let you know that you don't have peace. And then Mary and Joseph, of course, and soon to be born Jesus, did not have peace either. Um, The journey that they took from uh, Galilee to Bethlehem was about like 90 miles. And on foot, that would take anywhere between three days and like a week. So imagine like, pregnant Mary walking that far. Maybe that's why we assume that she's on a donkey. I don't know, but it's a long ways. And they didn't have peace. If there's ever a time where I want peace in my life, it's whenever my wife was giving birth to one of my children. And they did not have that simple luxury, right? So much so that it keeps going to uh, verse six through seven. It says this, and while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. They take this giant, inconvenient journey at a very terrible time. They finally get there, and as the story goes, there's no place for them at the inn. Now, this word inn is really great. ESV does a great translation here, not debating that, but there is debate exactly what it means because the same exact word is used later in the book of Luke for just a guest room, and it's very commonly used at this time for that. So it could literally mean an inn, it could literally mean a guest room, like in like a normal house, a normal Israelite house. So at best, there's no place for them at the end. And at worst, friends or family said, hey, there's no place for you. They were rejected, no peace in their life. And so much so, here's what's crazy. It doesn't matter which one you choose. Back in this time, structures, uh, inns, or houses were one roof, two sections, one section for the people, one section for the animals. So it doesn't say stable, it says manger. He was born in some kind of an animal room, but what's crazy is, and this is a little speculatory, but it seems true that literally whoever said there's no room for you might have literally been on the other side of a wall from them, able to hear the birth pains and able to hear the newborn baby crying. They were rejected, they had no peace. And maybe for you today, maybe you feel like your family hasn't had any peace either, right? Maybe this has been a really hard year for you, and maybe there's been a death of a loved one, or perhaps a diagnosis, perhaps a broken relationship, and and really the crazy thing is, for a lot of us in this room, it's going to be a combination of those, plus like five others, right? And again, it just feels like hardship after hardship, where is the peace? Let me tell you, um, you're not alone if you're in that. We're all in and out of seasons of pain and suffering, but what I want you to see is the second thing that we're going to see in our text today. 
which is the good news. It's the good news that Jesus brings peace to those who believe in him. Jesus brings peace to those who believe in him. Let's go back to uh, chapter 2, verse 8. It says, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. For the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So Jesus brings peace to those who believe in him. Um, a couple of miles outside of Bethlehem is where most people, uh, most scholars think that these guys were like within like a couple of miles of the actual uh, town. And an angel shows up in the middle of the night to these shepherds and says, hey, I know I'm pretty scary, but don't be scared. In fact, instead of having great fear, have great joy because there's good news. Someone who's been born in your town who is Christ and Lord and Savior. Now, all of us in the year 2021 in Oklahoma, in this room, no matter if you believe in Jesus or not, um, we all have a very real um, uh, opportunity to just glance over that entire statement because Christ, Savior, Lord, all of these sound like very Christian things, right? Um, and very much so, it's like, yes, most of us have heard these applied to Jesus in some way, but here's what's crazy. Um, in all the Bible, everywhere, the whole thing, this is the only place where all three of them occur at the same time. So you have to know, like, okay, like, there's something interesting there, and here's what it is. In the Old Testament, they talked about a lot of different hopes. They talked about the hope of a Christ. Uh, another word for that is Messiah. And they knew that he would come one day and make things better, and these guys were often prophets and priests and kings. There were a lot of Messiahs in the Old Testament, but they knew that there was another one coming who would be even better. And then they talk about Savior in, uh, if you go to like Isaiah, the end of it, we hear about the suffering servant who's going to one day come as a Savior to God's people. And all throughout the thing, they're constantly talking about a, a Lord who's going to come, who's going to be a sovereign ruler and lead his people instead of being led by someone like Caesar Augustus. But this is the first time the significance here is that the angel's saying like, hey, listen, all of the different places of hope in your life, all of it, everything that you're hoping for, it all finds its life and its being in one single person, and he's been born about a mile and a half from you. Such an incredible statement. Something that um, I think all countries do, I'm not 100% sure on that, but it seems like they do, it seems like they always have our uh, military parades. Uh, you've probably seen something like this where, like, you have, like, all the servicemen and women in their, um, you know, uniforms and regalia. You got, like, the combat ve vehicles, like, on normal streets. And sometimes you even have, like, some airplanes flying overhead. And um, these are done all over the world and for a lot of different reasons. Um, sometimes that's for uh, something really good, which is, like, uh, pointing out the individual sacrifice. Like, hey, look what these people are doing to keep us all safe. However, at other times and other places uh, in history, there uh, tends to be a different air, uh, different air about them. Um, normally, you see pictures of, the, of these, and there's a lot more missiles and stuff at those things. And uh, it, basically, it's the idea of not so much look at their sacrifice. It's more like, hey, look what we have, and don't mess with us. Or look what we have, and um, we're coming for you. Right? So whenever we see military, it's not always a good thing. But listen to uh, chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. It says this, And suddenly 
There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Apologies. So here's what we got. We've got an army of angels in the sky, okay? Whenever it says host, host is just another word, uh, another word for uh, army. Uh, heavenly means the sky. Multitude means a lot. You have a bunch of armies of angels in the sky. If one was scary, this would have to be terrifying, right? And um, if you think about towards the end of Jesus' life, whenever he's like, uh, about to be crucified, one of his disciples pulls out a sword and cuts off the ear, and then he's like, hey, don't you know that I could call on my father and he could bring like 12 legions of angels right now and subtext, like, take care of all this? Well, like, he, here are the legions, right? I mean, this is absolutely terrifying, but they're not coming as an army to call out for war. Instead, they're calling out for peace, right, because of the coming of Jesus Christ. And they say, Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. So we have to ask, who, how, how are we pleasing to him, right? Who, who is that? And we continue to hear the story of the gospel unfold in the book of Luke and other places in the New Testament, and we get more information about it. And what we hear is that, in fact, the good news is that Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, he died on the cross and rose again, and everyone who believes in him actually be saved from their sin. And this is very important to our text because sin is anything that's against the will of God, anything that's contrary to him. And anywhere where there is sin, there is no peace with God. But whoever believes in him, uh, God forgives them their sin, there's peace with God, and he is pleased with them. And in turn, he then gives them peace in this life and promises peace in the next now, you might be sitting here, though, uh, having had a hard year, and you're like, yeah, I believe in all of that, but, like, where's my peace? It feels really bad. This year has not gone well. This decade has not gone well. Well, um, first of all, I just want to say I think the apostles would have agreed with you in many ways. Um, these guys raised people from the dead, uh, healed others, and uh, cast out demons uh, like it was going out of style, Right? And in 1 Corinthians 4, Paul is talking about what it's like to be an apostle. And they're like, hey, we're buffeted, we're essentially made fun of, uh, we're homeless, and we're hungry. I, I think at times they would have said that there wasn't peace either. So what do we do with this? Um, this is best explained by this idea that I think is really well coined by uh, the term the already and the not yet, okay? So here's what it is. It's very good for Advent. In uh, the very first Advent, which we just all celebrated this year, or uh, excuse me, this week, uh, yesterday, we have the coming of Christ. He's already come and he's already brought peace for you if you believe in him with God, and he says, one day I'm going to come again at the second advent, and I'm going to bring ultimate peace with you that will never go away no matter what. And right now, you and I live between the already and the not yet. So we look to a future time, we look back and we see peace with God. And right now, the way that we get peace in this life is that we just constantly go back to him on the daily, habitually, continually, and we say, Jesus, life is hard, and even though it's hard, I believe in you, and I need your peace right now, and I need you to show up right now, and maybe your circumstances don't change, and maybe you don't get the peace that you're looking for, but he does answer those prayers, and whenever the answer is not yet, he's certainly looking towards this future time where he says, I will answer that prayer, and you will have that ultimate peace. But 
last thing that I want you guys to see today is really what we should do going from here, which is that we should ponder Christ and we should praise God. Uh, We're going to go back and read verse 12, and then we're going to jump down to 15. Verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Verse 15. When the angel went away from them into heaven, or the angels, excuse me, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So the crazy thing about the sign of the manger, it's like, um, you know, they were primitive back then, but like you, you wouldn't see a baby in a feed trough back then any more than you would today, right? Um, so like they show up in a time before cell phones and the angel's like, hey, listen, I'm going to tell you what's happening right now two miles away. Like that, that would have just been really uh, epic, right? And they get there and they see it and they're amazed and they tell everyone, but the shepherds were just as much a sign to Mary and Joseph as much as the manger was to the shepherds. You see, because before this, Mary and Joseph had just gotten um, individual words from an angel that was like, hey, by the way, this is what's in your belly, Um, it's okay, and also here's his name, right? Um, And then these these shepherds, these complete strangers show up and are like, hey, by the way, all of this is true, and we couldn't have known this in any other way. And then it says that Mary treasured up these things, and she pondered them. So I think the first way that we should really react in light of the peace of Christ at Christmas is that we should ponder the good news of Christ. We should do exactly what Mary did. And I think the way that we do this is by thinking through the claims uh, of the Bible, but specifically about Jesus. There are tons of things that you can get real nerdy about in the Bible, um, but the very primary message of it is, of course, Jesus Christ, his, his living, his dying, his rising again, of course, his birth, which we talk about today. Uh, so if you're here today and you're not really sure what you believe about Jesus, I just say like, hey, like, thanks for being here and I'm um, really excited about that. This is really cool. And um, I would just say like, hey, consider the works of Christ in the New Testament. Um, maybe you go out from here and you read just the rest of Luke. It's actually not that big of a commitment. It's very short in comparison to modern novels. Um, but read that and consider like what what is it that it's saying about Jesus? Maybe not even necessarily what I've heard other Christians say about it before, though that can be helpful. But what is it saying about Jesus, and what do I say about Jesus? He was born 2,000 years ago, and the world has been changed ever since. He had to do something with that. But even more so, the peace of God, both past, present, and future, is on the table. And I would just invite you to consider what an amazing proposal that is. And likewise, if you're here and you're like, yeah, I'm convinced of all those things, I am a believer in Jesus, I'd say like, hey, we need to be pondering Jesus Christ as well, especially like right now. Um, By the way, the the 12 days of Christmas actually traditionally happen um, after Christmas. I believe Christmas is like day one of that, and it goes on for 12 days. It would be a beautiful thing to just consider the birth of Christ, but consider the claims of, of Christ in your reading plan for the next 12 days because we are so prone to forget and it only brings praise and wonder to our souls. And um, by the way, I know a lot of you guys are parents in here and you're probably struggling for like that perfect individual time with the Lord that's like perfect with like a coffee and it's like early in the morning and all this stuff, but you have someone who's like, you know, tugging at you saying like, can I have like that fifth cupcake for the day? 
Um, and I know that person might even be like sitting right beside you, so no judgment there. Um, but just say like, hey, also one thing that is very important, even whenever it's hard to get individual time to read and ponder and pray and think, one of the things that is just really beautiful that shouldn't be overlooked is just being able to read that out loud to your children so that they can ponder the works of Christ as well. Even if it's a storybook Bible at night before they go to bed that takes five minutes, it's something that is important that ought not be looked over. But lastly, let's look at uh, verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They praise God, they return home, and I really think that that's what the, the other thing that we should do with this today, which is that we should praise God for the good news of Christ. We should praise him. And now, we already sang today, I think we're going to sing again uh, before the end of the service, and like singing's really good, um, but I think a very specific application out of this is to instill a, a prayerfulness in your home, okay? A prayerfulness in your home, and here's what I mean by that. It doesn't matter if you live alone, if you have roommates, if you have a spouse or like 20 children, whatever it may be, um, to create a culture of prayerfulness in your home is contagious and it also brings praise to those around you. It doesn't have to be like a big epic thing or a very eloquent thing, but just praising God whenever you see these uh, uh, great things happen or lamenting to God out loud or um, whenever someone's in the hospital praying for them right there on the spot. Um, my wife is really great at this. Um, historically, we always wanted to have like a really awesome prayer life together and honestly just kind of like struggled to have like that beautiful, awesome, like perfect prayer life of a, a husband and wife. But we tried nonetheless, but one day she just decided that she was just going to start praying out loud. And she wouldn't even like circle us up. Like if someone was like, like if we got a text, someone's in the hospital, she wouldn't say like, hey, like let's gather around and pray. She would just be like, Lord Jesus, we asked for prayer, uh, we asked for healing for this person, and she would just pray right there for 10 seconds. Now, I'm a pastor, and like, I like, I like prayer, right? Prayer is good. Um, but, you know, I wasn't doing that, but because she started doing it, it created a culture in our house that I started doing that, and now our little four-year-old does it all the time. Um, now, um, just to, you know, just so you know, our four-year-old, like, her prayers get a little heretical at times, but that's Okay. <laughs> Um, a few months ago, she was praying to Santa, and that was really confusing, but, you know, I talked to her about it. It seemed reasonable why she would think that, but so we got that worked out before Christmas. That was good. Um, but just to say that, nonetheless, a culture of prayer and praise in our family is contagious, and prayer and praise with your roommates is, and if you even live alone, that is going to be a culture within yourself that's going to bleed out in your life. So, uh, with all that being said, today... Uh, you guys have heard, heard that peace is quite elusive to us, but the good news is that Jesus brings us peace. He brings it to those who believe in him. Uh, we should all respond to these claims. I think that we should do that by pondering Christ, thinking on him, and also uh, praising him in our homes and in our lives. So, you know, it's the last Sunday of the year. Um, if you guys are anything like me, you've already got your full focus planner out, and you're already, like, planning all of your goals for next year and how it's going to be awesome, and, and I really don't mean that in a demeaning way. Like, I, I do that. Um, it's really good. Uh, but that being said, I would just encourage each of you, like, as you're thinking through that in the coming days, to just consider what would it be like to instill pondering of Christ and praise for God and my rhythms of next year and my goals for next year and my hopes of next year because that is going to be uh, really the best application of the Christmas season going into the next year. So let's pray. Father God, um, Lord, I pray and I hope that 
um, everyone here will be able to uh, meet you today and have already met you today. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each and every one of us um, about the Christmas message, about this text from Luke. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just show us all what we need to do next. Um, so Lord, myself included, our staff included, Lord, Lord, we're all in an even playing field. No one's better than another. We're all uh, in awe and wonder of the coming of Christ. So we pray that you would meet us all in that. Amen.